three, two, one, roll the footage. Welcome back to the Strategies, Strategies Prince podcast, everybody. I'm your host, Simon Severino, and today is a special day. My guest is one of the most expensive business strategies in the world. He is endorsed in Forbes, Inc. magazine, and has authored eight books. At London's Royal Society, he announced the world's largest science research challenge, the 10 million Evolution 2.0 prize. His reinvention of the Pareto Principle is published in Harvard Business Review, and his Google book laid the foundations for the 100 billion pay-per-click industry. He has a degree in engineering, lives with his family in Chicago. Welcome, everybody, Perry Marshall. Hi, Seaman. Great, great to be here. Thanks for having so, me. So cool to have you here. This book here, everybody, if you don't have it, the 8020 of sales and marketing, this is still the best book on sales, on marketing, on how to find the few things that move the needle forward. And it has been a foundation to our business and to our success, absolutely. So we will dive, dive into that. But before, one of your concepts is the Renaissance time. So I'm curious, how did you start your day today? I started my day, I got out and I went and I grabbed, I got a cup of tea and a notebook and I started writing. And this is how I start every day. And and when I say writing, there's I don't mean what you might think I mean. I don't mean pushing the pen and telling somebody a story or, you know, writing a blog post or, or, or anything like that. What I mean is whatever is like naturally coming, gratitude, I got a question, uh, looking for some help from the muse, talking to the head office, um, like just what is flowing. And, um, and you know, what most people do, most, most people, they wake up, they pull a device into their bed and they start the death scroll, as I like to call it. Okay, and and that is, you have immediately murdered your day when you start your day that way. If you're starting your day reacting to people, watching the news, checking email, doing anything like that, you're doing it wrong. Um, the right way is in your own spiritual space. This is the most important habit I've ever cultivated and I have not missed a day in seven and a half years. And this is like, if, if you look what I'm doing and all the different things I'm involved in, I mean, we could get into a list if you want. The only way that I could do so much, could accomplish so much, get so much done is by starting with that space because that feeds the creativity engine. That is what feeds the spirit because most people are running on fumes. And so I call that Renaissance time. And well, I, I've actually convinced a lot of people to do this. And people tell me it's one of the best things in their life. So Renaissance time. It is, and as simple as it is, and everybody can do it, instead of starting with your phone in the morning or your computer, 
start with what Perry has just laid out. And Perry is the, the data point. He is the validation that if you do this, you can be 10 years ahead, 15 years ahead of your industry because you have the mental space to think forward, to see what is there, but other people are not seeing because they are busy answering emails. Right, exactly. Now, I'm curious, one day in the life of Perry Marshall 2021, what's a typical day? So, well, let's take today um, or, or this week. So, I, I do Renaissance time for an hour, uh, sometimes more. Uh, and that's that's probably too much for most people at first. It's kind of like, you know, you probably got a friend who runs two miles every day. Well, he didn't start by running two miles. He, he probably started by running two blocks, right? But I, I do that. Um, and then um, the first few hours of my day is reserved for whatever is the most important long-term creative project that is not like immediately like reacting to stuff, but like what, what is really going to move the needle or it's almost like, like if you're going to do one thing and accomplish it and it would justify you taking the rest of the day off, what, what would that one thing be? Um, and that's what most of my morning is spent on that. And there's no phone calls and there's no emails and, and, and all of that. Um, then at 11.30, I call my personal assistant who is in charge of my email box and we talk through my email box. And that's how I do email. In fact, I usually do email with a Bluetooth headset on my bike, riding on the bike trail, talking to my personal assistant. And so I can usually ride 10 or 20 miles in the time it takes to go through the email box. That's like 45 minutes to an hour and a half. I'd say most most days we have it under an hour, um, and then we get the email box knocked off, and and she's like taking care of the little like nap like the little nap bites and things that you know most people like dickering back and forth about what time we're going to have some meetings. She does all that, and a, a personal assistant is priceless. In fact, I think basically everybody who makes more than $60,000 a year should have a personal assistant, even if you're an employee paying them out of your own pocket. And, you know, even, even if all you could afford is somebody from the Philippines, uh, you, you have no idea how much it will increase your productivity. And probably they shouldn't be from the Philippines. Probably they should be your, your country, your language, everything. There are lots and lots and lots of people who want work for $15 an hour or $20 an hour. Um, and then, and then the afternoon is like what most people consider productivity stuff, like talking to clients and having meetings and, you know, working on projects and, and, and all of that. And so I really turned everything upside down and backwards from, from what most people would think. Like most people would think, oh, well, I got to start by putting out all the fires. I get, get all this stuff. And then maybe in the afternoon, I might get to my longer term stuff. And then, you know, maybe, uh, maybe after that, maybe I'll, I'll get in a little time to think and reflect. Of course, that never happens because it all gets... So I just flip all of that upside down and that's, that's a day in the life. And then, and then I go have dinner and hang with my family after that. 
last I love this symphony with my 16 year old on the stereo. There's no symphonies during COVID, but you know, like he's into he's into violin, so that's a day. I love this, and I never thought you you have inspired me again. Uh, I never thought of combining it with with exercise, which of course is possible. Anything cardio, anything that you can do while talking, beautiful. One hour in nature and going through this admin stuff, tier one stuff, beautiful. Yes, it, it works great, and it keeps me in shape, and uh, it feels good. And there's a bike trail two two miles away, so it's perfect. Now let's go to the 80-20 rule. But first, one word from our sponsors. Hey, if you love what you are hearing, you will love our free masterclasses. Go grab them at strategiesprints.com. Most people know the concept of 80-20, still they don't know how to live it. And you are the man, even if you didn't invent it, no, but I... you are the person who has shown the world how to live it, how to do it every day. It's a mindset. It's a practice. Can you share with us how you live it? Well, so most people think that 80-20 is just this thing about, you know, oh, yeah, this Italian economist 100 years ago, 20% of the people own 80% of the real estate and 20% of the people have 80% of the wealth. And they think it's just that. Well, no, actually, it's almost like a law of physics or gravity. It is, it's everywhere. Um, it's inviolable. Um, you, you have to work with it. You can't. And it, it, it is it is in every spreadsheet it's in every advertising account it's in your family it's in your house it's in it's in your 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 checking account um, and what it says is that 80% of results come from 20% of efforts and the other 20% of results comes from 80% of efforts and this is always true uh, but once you become conscious of it, you can start moving your efforts into more and more and more productive regions and getting more and more leverage out of every everything you do by eliminating. You, you have to eliminate. Now, eliminate does not hardly ever mean erase uh, because you can't erase 80% of the world and you can't erase 80%. It's not possible but you can choose what not to do and you can choose what to say no to and you can choose what to delegate now it's doubly powerful because 20 percent of the 20 percent produces 80 percent of the 80 percent so there are 80 20 levers inside 80 20 levers and so if you if so think back to last year now i don't know you simone uh but I'm going to guess that if you analyze 2020 and you look at all of your income sources, like, okay, where did my income actually come from? My clients, my product sales and everything like that. Half of your actual money and profit came from one week of work that you did last year, not a year of work. And it might have been a Tuesday afternoon in April. It might have been a really productive day in August. It might be a deal you closed on September 19, you know, and a couple and scattered around. 
but actually there's these super hot spots of productivity that were in, in very specific places. And most of the rest of the year was actually filler. And this is, this is even true of a dental receptionist, except that because she makes $15 an hour and thinks about her time that way, she just never really realizes it. But the, the truth is, is that you know, there's $10 an hour work, there's $100 an hour work, there's $1,000 an hour, and there's $10,000 an hour work. And even a dental assistant. Okay, so let, let's say Helen is answering the phone at a dental office and she says, would like dental, please hold and put somebody on hold. And then two minutes later, this is Helen, how can I help you? And the person has left. Well, they were going to spend $5,000, but in two minutes of hold music, she lost them. So the practice lost $5,000 of revenue in two minutes, which is $150,000 an hour. Okay, a $15 an hour receptionist lost $150,000 an hour for two minutes. You could never tell me that people don't make $10,000 an hour. They do for little periods of time. But if you treat everything equal, if you're casual, like, you know, most of the time, I don't care if Helen's on Facebook, but when that phone rings, it is time for everybody to move. And if they don't, they just, how much money do they spend making that phone ring? And it all goes to waste. And so if it's true of a $15 an hour dental assistant, what about an entrepreneur or CEO? What are you missing? We have a practice in our team that is probably uh, exactly the 80-20. So today, uh, once a week, we go through all the emails. So we send automated emails, we collect the data, and then every seven days, we go through the, the losers, we call them, and, and we just delete them. So it's around 10% of the emails that we have sent in these seven days. By click rate and by open rate, there are some that just don't win. They resonate less with our audience and we delete them. Another thing is the, the, uh, the number of projects that we have and activities that we have going on. We go through the list, we eliminate the less impactful. Is that one way that teams can, can apply the 80-20 rule? Yes, in fact, in fact, you know, a lot of people will have a difficulty going, I don't, I can't possibly imagine how I would get rid of 80% of my stuff. I, okay, Perry, in theory, I suppose I sort of kind of believe you. Okay, here's what you can do. You can almost always get rid of 10% of almost anything or 5% of almost anything, right? Like, so you're you're talking about email campaigns or advertising at the especially with that kind of stuff. Easily 10% not only performs poorly, it actually is pushing you backwards. There's probably 5% of your emails that are causing people to not buy or make you look stupid or move things backwards instead of forwards or oh my goodness, this has been in the system for six years and this has nothing to do with anything in the morning. Why, why are we, you know, why are we spamming people with that, 
right? And and so um, it's always the case that there's five or ten or maybe twenty percent that that can just be eliminated. And as soon as you do that, everything gets better, just because you've cleaned up a mess. Another thing that I love to talk about is your the marketing DNA principle, yes. which says, hey, there are many different styles of very successful salespeople. And it really just depends on finding your style, so knowing who you are, and then doubling down on that. I did myself the, the marketing DNA test, and I was really touched by how precise it described my style, which is the live impro, mm. impro uh, closer. Absolutely, yeah. And so would you like to uh, tell the audience about that? Well, yes. Um, when, when, I, when my wife was three months pregnant with our first child, I was an engineer and I got laid off from my engineering job and I went into sales. And little did I know that I was in for two years of bologna sandwiches and ramen soup and, and spiraling credit card debt and, and, and chasing people around. And uh, boy, I, I learned a lot of stuff, but I learned it the hard way. And I, I think most everybody who's ever gone into sales has had this kind of experience. And, um, well, eventually I figured out how to do sales and marketing. And after, you know, after 20 years of working with people and seeing every kind of sales and marketing person you can possibly imagine, I realized that there are like there are totally different types of salespeople. There are totally different types of marketers. There isn't any such thing as the ideal salesperson or the ideal marketer. It doesn't exist. Um, it would drive us crazy if it did. Um, that So, for example, there are people that I call hostage negotiators, and you might be one, okay? And a hostage negotiator is a guy who, like, walks in, to some crazy situation, says whatever somebody needs to hear and he gets the deal and he walks out with the hostages and somebody goes, so what did you say anyway? He's like, I don't know, <laughs> okay? But, but you know, he's just in the moment and it was amazing, right? And then there's like other people and they'll, they're introverts and they hide in their cave and they'll like cook up you know, hours of video or a hundred emails or sales copy or whatever. And, you know, finally when it's all ready, they'll push a button and, and they'll press the send button and a whole Rube Goldberg machine will like start cranking away and like, and all the, all this money will show up. Right. And the hostage negotiator and the introvert hiding in his cave are completely, utterly different animals. And what I noticed was I could, I could name hostage negotiator after hostage negotiator who went to marketing seminars. He's like, oh, I need to be a copywriter, right? And I, and I would meet, you know, um, you know, introvert hiding in his cave, you know, after another who is like, they're trying to do live webinars or, or, or negotiate, you know, <clears throat> closed sales deals or something like that. And everybody's like beating themselves up because they can't manage to like do this other thing. And 
And so I created the marketing DNA test because I really felt that I had identified the core fundamental elements of what makes sales and marketing people tick. And if we could measure those and like I've gotten extraordinary raves about the marketing DNA test. Like I had a computer programmer, he took the test and it said, well, your inclinations are all that you could be a professional copywriter. And 18 months later, he broke the six figure barrier as a freelance professional copywriter, no longer working as a software engineer. His name is Josh Earl. And there's been a lot of those. And here's the thing. If you can figure out your marketing DNA, like this is how I persuade, this is how I market, this is how I sell. And also, these are the ways I do not. You will stop putting yourself in positions where you're going to lose. And you'll automatically be in a position where you'll win. And not only that, but when you when you take more training courses or you go to seminars, it, it has you going to the right ones, learning the right things. Because if you're already a good writer, investing $10,000 in your writing ability will probably pay off 100x. Whereas you know, if you're trying to make yourself a hostage negotiator and you're not, you'll probably end up, you know, going splat, which is very painful. So, um, so that's why we created the marketing DNA test. And you must know who you are. You must know thyself. It is the, it is the most liberating thing. And you can, you can stop, there's, there's stuff you can stop doing, which of course that's 80, 20. Absolutely. And so I did it. It was such a precise email that I got or, or a series of emails that were describing my pattern, describing strengths and weaknesses. And I was like, yes, this is really good. The world needs to, to do this. Do it with your teams, people. Perry Marshall, Marketing DNA. If you buy the book here, there is a code where you can even do it for free, I think. Yes, instead of paying $37. So yeah, it's in the 80-20 book, right? It, it can save you so much stress and time and uh, you can you can divide work better in your team and knowing who's writing stuff and who's closing stuff, who is, who is right. setting up and who is closing, right? So what are the types that, that come out of that? Well, so so there's there's eight components to it. So there's the alchemist and the, the alchemist is the person, who it's all about, it's new, it's innovative. You've never seen it before. They, they have a drive to, for novelty, okay? Then there's a producer and a producer is selling you certainty and specifications and uh, conforming to best standards and reliability. And an alchemist and a producer in some sense are opposite. A, a producer is a person who wants to get their um, their marketing message all dialed in before they press send. Okay. Um, uh, and, and they, and they want to, they want to follow, follow it. Okay. So then, then you have live and recorded and live, uh, live means that you're in the moment and that, that you're best, you are your best self when you're on the firing line under pressure and recorded means you are a person who needs time to put it together and get it right. And you like to meticulously, you know, uh, 
you know, adjust things until they're just perfectly dialed in. Then you have images and words. There are people who sell with pictures, like literal pictures and demonstrations and things like that. And there are people who sell with stories. Okay. And, and those can be completely different. And then you have people who sell with empathy and you have people who sell with analysis. And again, those are two completely diff different people. So if you take these eight things, most people have two or three that they're really strong on and a couple they really don't like. Okay. And, and when you, when you figure that out, it will, it will, it will, it's like a vector and it points you in, in a certain direction. It's like, okay, so if I avoid a couple of these areas and I always make sure that I'm selling in this or this or this kind of situation, you are immediately 10 to 20 times as effective with every minute that you spend doing sales and marketing and you're less and you're more happy. Eight elements, people, alchemist, uh, producer, life recorded images, words, empathy analysis. And the slightest difference there makes a whole lot of difference of how you divide the work in your team. And if you are just actually winning because it's your true nature, or if you're just struggling uh, because it's not your thing and you, you know, should delegate I, outsource it. I wish that I'd had this 20 years ago because it would have told me not to take that job. Um, uh, like I'm an alchemist. The, if you're an alchemist, the worst thing you can ever do is try to sell some kind of commodity. It, it will drive you crazy. And you'll feel like, oh, I'm just bugging with these people. Like they don't even, there's no even really good reason for them to talk to me because, because I just have my suitcase full of samples and it's the same samples the next guy up the street is showing them. Well, I, I needed to be selling things that are totally unique. Now, some people have a very hard time selling things that are totally unique. You know, they, they just want to like check the boxes, right? And so if you can save yourself from one bad job or one bad career, my goodness, it's like giving you back two years of your life. Absolutely. How do you write books as an alchemist? Because uh, do you do you talk books and then other people transcribe it okay. for producers? Well, okay. Alchemist is different than live. Okay, so a so a live person would probably have a hard time writing a book. Now, if a live person wants to write a book, you record them, and then you you give the transcript to an editor, and that works great. Now, an alchemist. An alchemist is simply somebody who's into new ideas. So I'm an alchemist. What did I do? I took Pareto's idea and I said, hey, wait a minute. This is not just a law of economics. This is like a law of everything. And it's fractal. And nobody's explaining that. So I'm going to explain both of these things. And I'm going to explain it to marketers. And I'm going to create something totally different that's never existed, which is exactly what I did. And so like alchemy just kind of comes out of me. Like I'm I'm like I'm like one of your friends who's a musician that's just constantly cranking out songs. Like he can't stop himself from generating songs. Well, if if you if your friend can't stop himself from writing songs, he should not be playing in a bar singing Jimmy Buffett songs every night. 
it would drive him to an early grave. He's got to find some, like some way. Maybe it's maybe it's open mic night at a different bar, but he needs to find a way where people are going to hear his new songs. Beautiful, and I'm super curious because now you have had so many books and so so much success worldwide. You could easily just do your bike rides every day, and with two hours you can run your global business easily. It probably runs itself. Still, you work so much. And uh, not just in business, but you are in the field of philosophy, of social innovation, of deep intelligence, solving the big problems of the world, understanding evolution and biology. Mm -hmm. um, what are your next big goals? Well, we just started a 501c3 nonprofit foundation uh, for funding cancer research that the standard sources and uh, and funding authorities won't fund. Um, I, for example, um, there's there's a researcher named Azra Raza who I became friends with a year ago. She and her colleagues have, looks like, figured out how to detect cancer at stage negative one. Now, stage three and four cancer, we are no better off now than we were 50 years ago, basically. Um, your chances in stage four are no better now than they were in 1930, despite the fact that the U.S. government spent a quarter of a trillion dollars. Uh, about a year ago, I got pulled into a group of people and I came to understand that a major reason why this failure has occurred is because the entire cancer industry has misunderstood evolution. And over my shoulder here, there's a book, uh, Evolution 2.0, um, which talks about, well, the, the evolution industry is screwed up evolution. And so with a different model of evolution, you can actually understand cancer much better. And, um, and so like backing up a step, one of the reasons that I became an entrepreneur was I knew what I really want to do is work on the most interesting, most important, most pressing problems in the world. I do not want to be just some guy in a hamster wheel, um, like cashing my check and having my health insurance. If I'm 45 years old and I wake up and that's what I'm doing, I'm going to be miserable. And so the reason I'm an entrepreneur is so that I can go do stuff like this. And I'm, I'm doing, now I'm doing what I want and I like my business and I love my community. And in fact, the entrepreneurial community is becoming a very important resource for solving these problems in the medical industry because we don't think like they do. Uh, the medical industry is a mess um, and it desperately needs entrepreneurial thinking at every level. And so my, my entrepreneur community is becoming a very powerful resource like the CEO of Science Research 2.0, which is our organization, 
one of my clients and he came on board. It's like, hey man, like let's let's cure cancer. And so um I think these these questions are fascinating and they, they also affect people. Like my dad died of cancer when I was 17. My best friend died of cancer when he was 71 nine years ago. Um I, I've got I've got people all around me who I've lost. Um and I believe that this is solvable, but we're never going to solve it using the old assumptions. Uh, and so, well, so we need we need to bring entrepreneurship into science, and that's what I'm doing. Beautiful. One other thing that I find fascinating about you, because I studied philosophy, so I am really into the oh. pre-Gutenberg Yes. Uh, category of books and you are the guy who says hey read the evergreen books mm -hmm. so i i'm i am super curious what are your three favorite pre-gutenberg books well so one of them is absolutely the bible um and if you know if you're not familiar with the bible start with the book of proverbs that is probably i i think it's the best business book ever written the Proverbs of Solomon, it's right in the middle of the Bible. It's 31 chapters and it's perfect for like, you read a chapter a day, it would take you about five minutes and then meditate on it. It will it will save your bacon from so many stupidity spasms. Um, some other books that I like, I like Seneca. Um, he's a Greek philosopher uh, who lived um, the first century, absolutely brilliant. Um, I like the Catholic Apocrypha, which are the books in the Catholic Bible that aren't in the Protestant Bible. There's some really interesting stuff in there. Um, and uh, I think you should read something written before Gutenberg every day. In fact, on my website, I've got a huge list. You can go look around. Um, if, if you go to perrymarshall.com and you type Gutenberg, you'll find this blog post. Um, and uh, if, see... Why, okay, why is this so important and valuable? Because the world is insanely addicted to what is new. And G.K. Chesterton said something brilliant. He said, news is old things happening to new people. And if, if you read ancient literature, you will develop a very clear sense of what is permanent and what is not. And most of your life needs to be oriented towards things that are permanent. Because the issues of life have not changed one bit in 5,000 years. Human beings are struggling with the same problems. If you think just because you have an iPhone makes you have different problems than the ancient Greeks, you're on drugs. You're on a drug called an iPhone that makes you think, you know, it's not true. Okay. Uh, and, and I think business people who read and think pre Gutenberg are much better grounded. They are much less likely to jump into stupid things, um, to, and to, to do businesses that are just like little flash in the pan fads. Um, and uh, I, I have this saying, the center is the edge. The closer you are to getting the core principles exactly right, the better you can innovate and solve problems at the outer edge of your 
abilities. Thank you so much. You have again brought a ton of wisdom and inspiration. Is there anything that I forgot to ask you? Well, you know, I just I just want to give people some encouragement. I think that you know, we're on the tail end of this pandemic and you know, I can't tell you the exact details of kind of how it's going to you know, play out in the next few months, but I I believe that um, during the next three or four years, we're going to have a big economic boom. Uh, we are not headed into some giant recession. And now that depends a little bit on what industries you're in and so forth. But but I, um, I think people need to uh, engineer their future with the assumption that there's a boom coming and the bust is three to five years out from where we are now. It's not now. Um, what we're coming out of is analogous to the dot-com crash, um, which was about 18 or 19 years ago. And, um, and, and what happened after the dot-com crash? Well, all of the real progress of the internet started to actually happen. That's when Google ads came out. That's when Facebook really picked up steam that's when and then by by the time you got to about 2010 or 2012 it was like full steam ahead and the internet had just become this whole other thing and you have to remember how negative and pessimistic things looked in at 2002 2003 it looked like not much was going on but actually there was a ton going on and and so we're we're heading into a phase like that in the post-COVID era. Thank you so much. Where can people um, learn more from you except perrymarshall.com? Well, go to, go to perrymarshall.com, scroll down and find the 30-day street MBA and sign up. And it'll punch you in the face from the very first email and it'll shake you up. And uh, I guess, you know, if you don't like it, you'll know it right away. Most people are really intrigued and You'll, you can find out how deep the rabbit hole goes. Thank you so much, Perry. Perry Marshall, everybody, if you don't have this book, go and grab it right now, perrymarshall.com. And uh, thank you for being on the show, sharing your wisdom, pre-Gutenberg, post-Gutenberg, and business philosophy evolution with us. Thank you so much. Please come back soon. Thank you, Simone. Take care. Avoid trying to do thousands of things that doesn't work. We have 274 templates for your business success. Reach your ambitious goals with one-on-one -on -one sprint coach. We double your revenue in 90 days.